0: He has risen. He is risen indeed. I, I uh, never tire of saying it or hearing it, and I will probably never reach a point in my life where I don't need to hear it. How about you? Amen. What? Right? Amen. Thank you. Let's read a text that's all about the fact that that tomb was empty, that he has risen. Let's read it. I'm going to read from Mark chapter 15, verse 37 to 41, then I'm going to jump down to verse 47, then I'm going to jump to chapter 16, verses one to eight. so Here I go. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way Jesus breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. And when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him from, to Jerusalem. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus. And very early on, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, "'We'll roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb.'" And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. They were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that Jesus is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Lord, I'm grateful for this day and all that it means and entails for all of us. It's an awesome day. It's a beautiful day, and we're grateful for it. Lord, I pray that, um, that it would mark us, that this would be a moment in time where we can point back and say, I met the Lord there. That's where Jesus did this great work in my life, in this moment, Lord. And so I would pray that nothing that I would say or do or have left unsaid or undone, would in any way, hinder the work of your spirit, that we would see Jesus high and exalted and lifted up. Lord, I pray that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. Oh, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. So I'm fiddling with this Easter egg. I love Easter eggs. Uh, not these, right? If this one was full of candy, yes. But it's uh, it's got Play-Doh in it. Uh, and it's uh, not Play-Doh like it was when I was a kid. It was a little disappointing. Uh, but I, uh, I do. I love, I love Easter eggs. A few years ago, my sons introduced me to Easter eggs. And by that, I mean uh, those, um, those uh, hidden or subtle messages that you find in uh, movies and in TV and in software. You know, they've sort of, that word Easter egg has sort of entered our po- popular culture. They're hidden in plain sight. You, you can't miss them uh, once you see them. But you can look right at them. And not see them. I mean, you could see them just like an Easter egg when you're like, some of you will probably have an Easter egg hunt today, or maybe you had one this weekend and you hide those Easter eggs for kids, you know, and you hide them so that they can see, they they can find them. They walk right past them. They see them, but they don't see them even though they're looking for them. Right? Well, that's, that's in popular culture. Uh, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Uh, for instance, uh, check this one out. Uh, all right. How many of you have seen the movie toy story? Oh, come on. Seriously. Uh, (laughs) I have seen this movie. I love this movie, clearly, because a couple weeks ago I talked about the greatest cowboy who ever lived. It's uh, Woody, rooting his, shooting his cowboy, right? Uh, but this is one of my favorite movies. When my boys were little, I, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say I've probably seen this movie at least 30 times, maybe more. Uh, it, you know, I would I would just stop. It would be on when the, when the boys were playing around. It'd be, you know, I'd stop and watch it. They would just keep doing what they're doing. But at some point, uh, maybe the maybe the... 29th time that I saw this movie, uh, my boys pointed out an Easter egg. Do you see it? All right, I'll point it out to you. And you'll never, you'll go, oh my gosh, your mind will be blown, right? So that's uh, Buzz Lightyear on the right. Buzz Lightyear was voiced by who? Tim Allen. Tim Allen was famous for a TV show called what? Home Improvement. And it's uh, Home Improvement was a fictional Home Improvement show. And he worked for a company called what? Look at the Toolbox. That's an Easter egg right there. It's in plain sight. How many times did I see that movie and not see that? It's right there. It's this, this, this message, right? They're communicating something. The producers of this movie are communicating something, like a deeper story. Something deeper is going on. They're, it's kind of a nod to Tim Allen and, uh, and Benford and all that. That's really kind of neat. Just sort of weave those things in. If you watch uh, Pixar films, you can see a ton of these things. These Easter eggs, these these uh, hidden, not so hidden messages that tell you that there's uh, this important detail that's telling you that there's more going on than meets the eye, and you can see it and not see it all at the same time. I love that. I think it's uh, absolutely brilliant and genius how you can see it, and your mind, your eyes will like go right across of it, and then your brain will fill in the gaps. And one of the reasons uh, I, love, I just think that's genius. And I think that's one of the reasons why I love the Gospel of Mark. Because the Gospel of Mark has all these amazing details within it. And it's genius. Because uh, like many of you, I've read the Gospel of Mark. I don't know how many times I've read it. And my eyes will go right across the words. And I think I will have seen it. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh wait. I didn't see that. That's an Easter egg. There's something else going on. And all of a sudden, this deeper message becomes very clear. Mark gives us these amazing details throughout his gospel, these Easter eggs, that point to our tremendous need for a Savior and the hope that comes from the truth that the tomb was empty and that Christ has risen. And they're powerful. When we read uh, the Gospel of Mark, sometimes when we've read it in the past, we've actually filled in some of the gaps because we've read Matthew and Luke and John. But Mark, if you just read Mark by itself, oh boy. And that's what we've been doing. So let me see, let me see if I can uh, unpack, unshell, as it were, some of these Easter eggs that I discovered in reading the Gospel of Mark, particularly the text that I just read a moment ago. For instance, uh, perhaps the first Easter egg in Mark uh, 15, 37 to 47, basically, and uh, through Mark 16, verse 8. Did you notice uh, that he talks about ladies? Did you notice that? Hopefully, you noticed that. Um, I'm sure you've noticed it before. You've probably, if you've been around the church for a while, you may be aware that women were the first um, eyewitnesses to the resurrection. Um, But I wonder if you noticed how many women were there. Uh, it's right there in black and white. I wonder if you notice the sort of language that Mark used to describe them in the, that passage. And I wonder how many times, if you notice, how many times he actually lists their names and ever thought about why, why he would do that. And so if you look back at Mark 15, 40 to 47, basically, You might notice these things that are hidden in plain sight. He says there were also women, plural, looking on from a distance, among whom, so that means there were more than just a few, uh, were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and Salome. So there's not just these women, there's a, a larger group of women. So you might read that and just kind of push right past because you think about these three that are there, but he's telling you there's more and he tells us, and when Jesus was in Galilee, they followed him, and they, they could be these three women, but it could also be all those other women. They followed him and ministered to him, and there were also many other women, he says, who came up with him to Jerusalem. I, I think that's significant, don't you? It's a significant detail, but something that's often overlooked, that Mark says that there were, there were women at the cross, many women, in fact. First witnesses to the resurrection of, of, of well as well, there was, there was more than just a few which I think says something. There were more that came up with Jesus to Jerusalem. They were at the crucifixion, standing at a distance. But he says something else about these women as well. He says that they followed Jesus and ministered to him. Do you know what kind of language that is? It's discipleship language. It's the same kind of language that he uses to describe the disciples. They followed him. That's what disciples do. They follow Jesus and they ministered. Do you know who else is said to have ministered to Jesus in his life? Angels. Women and angels. Uh, not the men, right? Uh, who knows what they were doing? Bless their hearts. Being one, I can say that proudly. Uh, God help us, right? They ministered to Jesus. They cared for Jesus. And, and notice this language, they followed him, which gives us the sense that, that these women were disciples as well. They may not have been in the 12, but they were certainly a part of this group that followed Jesus. And I think, I think that's significant that they followed him and they ministered to him. Uh, so technically, we could say that um, Jesus' disciples were at the crucifixion, just not the male ones, right? That says something to me. And I think Mark is trying to provide this really Huge detail, right? That these women were followers of Jesus and thus disciples, and they were around. And like the men, they had been able to witness Jesus doing amazing things. They witnessed the encounters that Jesus had with the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees. They heard the things that he said. They witnessed his miracles. They were present when he said the things that he said about uh, being handed over to sinful men, right? They were present. They were followers of Christ. I think that's important. A very important detail. And there's another detail as well. One of these Easter eggs, another one as well. This whole thing with these ladies. He he gives us some some of their names. He doesn't give us all their names. There's a a bunch of them. He gives us some names, right? I think think that's significant. Uh, Oddly enough, throughout the Gospel of Mark, he doesn't always provide personal names. But then all of a sudden, in chapter 15, he does. And they're women. I I think... um, I think that's significant. Did you notice how many times he gives us their names? Three. Three times, not just once. He wants to make sure that you know, right? Why would he do that? I think, I think he's doing what uh, good students do and good scholars do. He's citing his sources, right? Because there's um, something else going on here that's in, inherent in this Easter egg, right? Right. Um, Uh, These ladies were the witnesses. Mark wasn't there. And if Peter's the one telling the story, he wasn't either. In fact, there's a little bit of an indictment in this as he lists the the names of these ladies because none of the disciples were there. None of the 12 or the 11 at this point, right? They're not there. So how else would Mark know this? Uh, I'll bet they told him. I bet it's these women who are having this conversation with Mark sort of relaying the story to him. I just that would be fantastic. In fact, when you turn to Luke, you might think that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is relaying some of that information to Luke, right? We use a little bit of a redeemed imagination. How did Mark get the story with these women? Probably told him. What women? Well, Mary Magdalene, sort of listing them off, right? He's citing his sources, which I think is fantastic. I mean, as far as we knew, Mark wasn't there, Peter wasn't there. But this is not something that Jesus didn't foresee. Like, he knew that. Back in Mark 14, which we've looked at in the last few weeks, remember there in the upper room, Jesus says to his disciples, these men, all of you will fall away. Peter has this argument with Jesus. I don't care that it's written. I'm not going to do it. Jesus said, yes, you are. You'll hear this rooster crow, right? Uh, and so Jesus foresaw, and he said, then I'll, I'll go ahead of you into Galilee, right? So he he knew this was going to happen, that these men weren't going to be around. And so... Mark puts the, the names of these women with this event as kind of an indictment. and as he, he needed those names, too. Why would he need those names? Well, because he couldn't just say a group of women saw the, the tomb was empty. Because no one would have believed him. Because they, didn't, um, they wouldn't have believed a group of women anyway. Because women weren't held in high regard. Which I think is one of the most ridiculous things in, in human history. That women were sort of relegated to the side. How foolish. And yet, we know that that was true in in the days of Jesus. It's it's significant then that God would want women, and he would want specific women, and name these women, to be the first witnesses to the resurrection, right? I mean, in some ways, as I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking about Genesis. And I'm thinking about, uh, in, in the first three chapters. And I'm thinking about the redemptive nature of this moment. Because it was Eve in the garden that was first tempted. Adam was complicit, but there's also that sense, right? And if there needed to be this redemption, then what a perfect way to redeem it. That a woman, women, were the first to witness the resurrection. Oh, what a beautiful thing. God's grace at action here. But God used this group of ladies to establish the truth of Jesus' resurrection. Because if you were going to tell a lie... You wouldn't have done that with women because no one would count their testimony as accurate anyway. They would push them off. In fact, there's a, there's a story, an anecdotal story of Origen who uh, was mocked by a pagan who said, uh, You're just, this whole thing about the resurrection, you're just believing the gossip of a group of women. All right. So why would you have used that, right? And why would you give their names? Mark gives us their names. And that's an Easter egg for us. It's powerful. Because he's just said that these women were followers of Jesus. They're associated with Jesus. They're Jesus' disciples. And he's telling people, if you want to know, because he's not writing to us. He's writing to others that perhaps could track these ladies down and find out for themselves. He put their names in there so that they would know. And brothers and sisters, that was risky. Risky. Because in the early days after Jesus' resurrection, in the early days of the church being associated with Jesus, could cost you your life. In the early days of G- after Jesus' resurrection, it was risky to be associated with Jesus. And their names are forever associated with Jesus and his resurrection as the witnesses. It was risky. It was costly. And he put their names there. It's risky to say, I follow Jesus. It was risky then. It's risky now. It's risky in the academy, isn't it, to say that you're a follower of Christ? It's risky in the marketplace to say, I follow Jesus and I'm going to operate out of these principles that Jesus teaches me. It's risky in culture and society to say, I'm a follower of Christ. It's risky in some parts of the world still. It spells death. It was risky in those days as well. What a powerful thing he's giving us with this witness of these ladies who... Not only ministered to Jesus for a little while, Mark tells us that, he, he, that they ministered to Jesus from Galilee to Jerusalem, from start to finish. That's what he's saying when he says from Galilee to Jerusalem, start to finish, they were with Jesus. is that a powerful Easter egg? Start to finish. There it is in black and white. This testimony And here in Mark 16.1, we find out that their devotion to Jesus even extends into death. That's why they're there. That's why they go. They were devoted to Jesus in 16.1. Mark 16.1 tells us that that these three ladies, um, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome, that they bought spices, probably some oils as well. And they were going to the tomb in order to... um, to anoint his body. It's what they did. It's part of this funeral practice, right? Uh, they, they, were, they did it out as an act of love and devotion to take care of the body of, of the ones that they love. It's, it's what they did. Um, and, we, and we read as they're going to the tomb. Can you imagine, basically there's this detail in here too, where they tell about this conversation. They had to relay this to Mark. I can almost hear it. Can you not? Uh, th- these ladies later on, they're trying to like give all the details. You've ever been with somebody who's going to give you all the details of the story. Um, like I got up and I had breakfast and then I, and then I whatever, but like, but like they're giving them this, this details, the intricate details of what they did that morning. And, and, and it's awesome. You can hear it. Well, you see, Mark, we had all these spices and oil uh, we were planning to anoint Jesus with them. We were going to do it, um, you know, after the crucifixion, but it was late. And, you know, Sabbath is crazy. So we, we'll just buy them uh, after the Sabbath, and then we'll, we'll do it as, er, as early as we can. But, you know, we, we were in our grief and, our, and all of that, our anxieties, as we were on our way to the tomb, because we saw where Joseph of Arimathea laid the body of Jesus uh, on our way there. That's, when, that's probably the first time we realized that we had seen the stone, and it was huge. And we wondered to ourselves, um, how how was it going to be rolled away? How are we going to get in there? Which is also another little Easter egg because it's an indictment because they knew the men weren't going to be there because they were hiding. They were going um, to this tomb. I love the details about the spices, don't you? I love the details about the conversation around the stone. And I love that Mark is telling us in that moment there was more going on than meets the eye. Because while this is an indictment about the men called to be followers of Jesus, it's also an indictment on the women who followed Jesus as well. Because they were disciples too. They'd been with Jesus from Galilee to Jerusalem, like the men. They'd heard the things that Jesus had to say. And they were devoted to him. But what did they expect to find in the tomb? was the same thing the men expected to find as well, a corpse. The men were hiding because they knew that Jesus was dead. The women were there with spices and oil because they thought he was too. They were no more prepared for this moment than than their male counterparts. As awesome as it is that the first witnesses were women, um, they weren't prepared. No one was. Well, except for Jesus, he was extraordinarily prepared for this moment. This is the ultimate Easter egg in this text. Because even with Jesus not actually being bodily present in this moment, he's very present. Very present in and around that empty tomb. What's amazing is just how much control Jesus has over this moment without it even being there in body. He knows that the disciples aren't going to be there. He told them they weren't in Mark 14. And he said, I'll be in Galilee waiting on you. And he knows that these ladies are going to show up at the tomb to anoint his body. Why else would he have a messenger there to tell them he's not here? He's gone ahead of you to Galilee. Go, tell Peter, tell the disciples and Peter. I am where I told you I would be. Mark gives us this other little Easter egg in here. When he when he has this messenger in white, tell him don't be alarmed, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things in the world that angels say when you read the Bible. (laughs) You notice they must be terrifying every time you see. That's the first things out of their mouth. I think they have a complex. People are afraid of me. Why wouldn't you be? But he says to them, "You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified." We read that. We might just glance right past that. But most of the time, when that phrase "you seek Jesus" or "you're looking for Jesus," It, it's, um, it's actually a, a mild rebuke. It's a rebuke. He's, re, he's rebuking them. Why are you looking for Jesus among the dead? Didn't you hear him say? One theologian wrote about this and said, the women intent on their funeral errand or are preoccupied with death. They endeavor with their spices and anxieties to bring some kind of closure, however inadequate to a tragic drama, but all of their preparations leave them unprepared for the reality they encounter. What they intend to be a terminal visit is but a commencement. The visit to the tomb is vintage mark and irony. The living are consumed with death, but the crucified one is consumed with life. And so the messenger gives them that answer, this awesome answer that we've said multiple times already. He has risen. He, awesome. He's not here. He's not where they laid him. And then the messenger gives him a charge. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Uh, if you were here on Monday Thursday, you, you had the treat of hearing uh, Reverend Linda Van Hook from Mount Level, which was fantastic. She told this story about her dad growing up uh, when he would say, do you, "Do you hear what I? Do you hear me? Then act like it." I think that's what the messenger is saying to these women. Did you hear what he said? Then act like it. He's not here. Look. It's not where they laid him. He's ahead of you. Like he said. Mark must have gotten this story from the women themselves. They must have told this story to him. Maybe with a little confession in their heart. There wasn't one of Jesus' disciples. None of his closest friends. Those who knew him best that stayed strong and faithful through the process. They just didn't. Not the men, not the women. I mean, in their faithfulness, they were going to anoint a dead body. Not a living Christ. And Jesus knew it. Jesus knew that about all of his disciples before the cross. He told them what would happen. He told them he'd meet them in Galilee. Now he's telling them again. And at the end of Mark's gospel... At the end of verse 8, all of Jesus' disciples, the men and the women, they've all flaked. Because at the end of Mark 8, Mark 1, 8, the women flee from the tomb, trembling and afraid and terrified, and they're silent. What if this was the only gospel we had? We know because we can fill in the gaps that, of course, eventually they talk. And what happens when they do, we read it earlier earlier. Peter and others show up at the tomb, and they're perplexed because they weren't prepared for it either. No one was. They all flaked, all of them, men and women. And I've got to tell you, I'm completely humbled by that, aren't you, especially on Easter? I look at what the disciples did, both men and women, and and think it's a miracle that the message of the gospel went forth, right? I mean, what uh, what if it ended right there? With this silence of the women, this fear of both the men and the women, the men who were hiding and the women who were afraid to speak. We know they eventually talked. But if God was going to depend on us to advance the message of the gospel of grace through faith in Christ alone, be in trouble. Because the people who knew Jesus and had this personal encounter with him, they flaked. Because that's what we do. Because we're human. But God didn't. No, he was faithful. Because he always is. And Jesus didn't flake. No. Because God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In this moment, even as the women are fleeing and the men are hiding, God is demonstrating this love for humanity. As the risen Christ is on his way to Galilee to launch the little mission of Shalom, this mission of bringing hope to all of humanity through the person and the work of Jesus. There are no heroes in this text, except for Jesus, who knew all about what these men and women were going to do. At the end of the day, on Easter morning, everyone expected that tomb to hold the body of Christ. It didn't matter if they were with Jesus from Galilee to Jerusalem, if they were at the cross Didn't matter. They'd seen him raise the dead before. No one was reported to have believed in what Jesus said about his resurrection. But that didn't matter because God was going to be faithful to his mission to redeem humanity, whether we were or not. They expected a corpse. In all of this, the advance of the gospel went forward. If having peace with God was dependent on our own ability to get it right, to be righteous on our own, we're in big trouble. But the grand, the ultimate Easter egg of Mark's gospel is really, as it states in Mark 1.1, 1, 1, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It begins that way and it culminates with the gospel going forth, despite the frailty of humanity. The good news of this text, the grand Easter egg and all of this, isn't dependent on our strength and our ability, but rather in Christ's. When I look at Mark's gospel, when I look at the people in this gospel, I see myself. And I see myself flaking out in this huge moment. But this gospel isn't about me or the people around me. This gospel is all about Jesus and what Jesus has done. It's all about the empty tomb and the resurrection and the work of Jesus on the behalf of men and women who flake out, who fail, who are overcome with fear and anxiety and weakness and pride and hubris and sin and all kinds of things who realize that they need a Savior, that they are desperate for a Savior, that they can't fix things on our own and discover that Christ is our only hope and we put our faith in him. This text isn't about our ability to do anything, but rather our need for Jesus to do it all, our faith in him. It's simply about our faith in the crucified one who was raised from the dead and through simply by our faith in him, we are saved. Even in our weakest faith, we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. If There's one lesson from Mark's Easter exits that our only hope is in the resurrected Jesus who vacated that tomb on Easter morning. That by grace through faith in him alone, we have our hope of salvation, our hope of eternity. And we can have peace with God and peace with one another and peace within ourselves and peace with all of creation because of the work of Christ. It's no longer I who lives but Christ who lives in me. God in his mercy knew full well that we could not do this on our own and thus Christ came, Christ suffered, Christ died on our behalf and Christ rose again. Brothers and sisters he has risen risen and that makes all the difference. Let me pray. Oh God, help us. As we think about what it means that you are risen. As we think about what it means to walk humbly with you. And what it means to seek after you in all things. Lord, I pray that we would walk from this place. New creations. Built and bound up by your spirit. And transformed by the truth of the gospel. I pray for those who may not yet know you that by faith in Christ alone, they would have the hope of salvation. This I ask in the powerful and the awesome name of Jesus. Amen.